Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Today, I have a returning guest to talk about medical errors and the value of apologies. He is Doug Wojcicki. Doug is a disclosure training consultant who created Sorry Works and has trained thousands of healthcare, insurance, and legal professionals and has become the go-to for organizations dealing with adverse medical events. Doug has had several personal and professional experiences with tort reform and medical malpractice issues. He lost his oldest brother to medical errors in 1998, and his family successfully sued the hospital and doctors with the case settling in the year 2000. The hospital attorneys, not the doctors, empathized with Doug's family, but only after the case was settled and money exchanged hands, and then they did not admit fault or apologize for the fatal errors. Now around the same time of his brother's case was concluding, Doug became the executive director of Illinois Lawsuit Abuse Watch, a grassroots group in favor of tort reform. And he eventually created Sorry Works to successfully promote apologies for medical errors as the solution to medical malpractice. There's way more to know about him and we have that all on our website for you to read at speakupandstayalive.com. Now Doug is also a contributor to our upcoming charity patient safety anthology titled Highway to Heart Humor and Honesty in Healthcare to be published late this spring and early summer and I always enjoy talking with him so let's get started. Welcome back to the show Doug. Thanks Pat. Appreciate you having me on. Good to be talking to you and your listeners. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to find out more about what you were doing. Doug, I don't recall. Were you in a health related field prior to your brother's hospital medical error? No, I have no professional background in healthcare. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse. I've never worked for a healthcare organization. Um my uh, background is, you know, professional background is public relations and public affairs and political work and marketing. So, as, as you mentioned in your introduction to me, I, I used to work in politics. I worked for a tort reform group and all that was happening around the same time that my brother's case happened and, you know, out of those personal and professional experiences, kind of thought there's got to be a better way to help not only patients and families but also doctor and nurses the doctors and nurses deal with these these horrible events and get everybody to a better spot so that's that's what I'm doing now I'm glad that you mentioned the healthcare provider side because often people think the harm was only done to the person or the family but really it's a harmful event for everyone all the way around is that what you call second victims 
Yeah, that, that's what we typically call second victims. And, you know, the I know this is a bit of a touchy subject with some patient safety advocates and some family advocates, and I get and I fully understand the anger and the, the grief and even the hatred that some people feel for doctors and nurses. But I think if we're going to ultimately solve these problems and get everybody to a better spot and make medicine safer, we can't demonize doctors and nurses because, you know what, even the bad doctors and nurses try to get it right. I've yet to meet a healthcare professional that comes to work on any given day and, and wants to malpractice somebody. I, I just have not met those people. And, you know, the eye-opener for me in doing this work, Pat, it's been very therapeutic for me to do it, to work through my grief for my, my the grief for my brother. But it's been an eye-opener, you know, learning how doctors and nurses sometimes suffer worse than us patients. You know, they quit or retire early. They just walk away from their careers. Uh, they have family problems, divorce, abuse children. And I've heard of way too many cases of nurses and doctors killing themselves, all because they were involved in a medical error. They didn't get the help they needed emotionally, and they just they literally killed themselves. So, um, you know, second victims is a big issue, and I think we talk about making medicine safer. We gotta take care of not only patients and families, we gotta take care of the doctors and nurses. When we do that we have a chance we have a fighting chance to to find improvements. Yep, I agree with you one hundred percent. So you're in a very interesting position because you have been on both sides of medical malpractice, one in the lawsuit in defense of your brother, but then also as a champion in favor of tort reform. And as you say, I'm sure that People are scratching their heads thinking, how can this be? Was there a turning point or a moment where you said, I have a feeling that I need to favor this side versus that side? Yeah. You know, it was interesting when when I was working for that tort reform group, uh, that was the time that the very first paper, a peer-reviewed paper came out about the efficacy of disclosure and apology in medicine. That was Dr. Steve Kramer and Jenny Ham. Steve is on my board at Sorry Works now. He's a great guy. And, and they were writing about their experience at the Lexington VA Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky, where they were they were the first hospital to do disclosure and apology. And, you know, everyone thought they would just get their light suit out. How could you be honest with families? The lawyers will be lining up around the, the street corner. And they found the exact opposite. And I, I was literally reading that paper in my office, the tour firm group, and I, I went to my boss and I said, my God, I'm, you know, you know, this might be what we need to be telling our, our friends in the medical industry. Forget about beating up the trial lawyers and shaming families that are, are going through potential medical errors. What about getting docs to be honest? Because the data right here shows it reduces lawsuits. And Pat, I, I, I was told in no uncertain terms to throw that paper in the trash can. Uh, my job was to demonize lawyers and demonize families. Even though I had told this group what had happened to my brother and we were suing, they they said don't do it. I, I tried to push a little further, and, and my boss said, "Well, you can." You know, I was in Chicago at the time. He said, "You can go down the street to the AMA or the Illinois State Medical Society and talk to them about this, but I can't promise you to have a job when you get back." Mm. You know, you know. So it was it was one of those uh, you know wow moments. For the record, I do not support tort reform in its entirety. Can there be improvements made to the legal system? Sure. Any human system can be improved. But what we typically think about is tort reform, where it's just, you know, caps on damages and making it more difficult for, for patients and families to pursue litigation. I no longer support that. I haven't supported it for years. I think there's a, a much better way to handle the situation for, for families and for docs. And that's to talk and to be honest and, and to, when there was a mistake, own it and make amends for those situations where people can't come to an agreement. Well, that's what the courts are for, but that that's what the courts are for as a last resort, not a first resort. So I, I've often said to my medical groups, I, I do most of my work with medical people. I say, you know what, guys, forget about the tort reform stuff. It's just a political game. It's there to beat up lawyers. It's really not about doctors and nurses. It's just there to beat up 
lawyers so they can't give money to Democrat politicians. If you really want to fix this thing, forget about trying to get the politicians to do your bidding. Just connect with your patients. Stay connected with them. Uh, get connected before something goes wrong and stay connected after something goes wrong. That's the name of the game. That's a very interesting viewpoint, and I, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because just sure. like anything, people are either on one side or the other, and nobody listens to what the other side is saying, and really there is a big picture here. I mean, I hear from people all the time that, you know, placing restrictions on the jury's right to determine damages deprives the citizens of their right to participate in justice system. It punishes those who were seriously harmed. The only people making out money is the insurance companies. It does nothing to promote safer medical care or lower the premiums for providers. I mean, you hear all of this and yet you continue with your quest. You've become the leading voice for disclosure and apology in medicine as a way to lower malpractice lawsuits and also as a way to reduce medical errors. So how does your program work? We spend a, a lot of time with healthcare organizations, be they hospitals, nursing homes, medical practices. We do a lot of work with insurance companies too. And I bring to those organizations the, the patient perspective and say, look, I've, I've actually been through this twice with my family, with my brother and also had a nephew that was seriously hurt by medical errors. And I say, guys, you, you should be concerned about lawsuits. They're not fun for anyone. They're expensive. They're grueling. They, they really take a toll, not only financially, but emotionally. Running to the legislature to get this fixed is not really going to do much for you. You know, when I sit down and talk with doctors, they're like, well, I need caps on damage. I need caps on damages. I say, well, caps are typically for emotional distress. I say, you know what, guys, if you killed me, a 45-year-old man, who cares about the caps on damages? We're going to be talking about lost wages and all that stuff, and that that's going to it's still going to be a big judgment against you. Or if you crippled somebody like me, if you crippled a child, who cares about the caps and damages? You're still looking at, at a big figure. Uh, so we've got to find a different way. So I, I spend a lot of time with, with hospitals and nursing homes trying to teach them about how to communicate to patients and families. Uh, we talk to them about empathizing, you know, just simply saying, I'm sorry this happened. A lot of families don't even get that after something goes wrong, even stuff where it wasn't an error, and they, they suspect. They suspect the worst when they don't get that. And then we work all the way through up to, hey, we actually did screw up. How do we apologize about this? And I, I help them think through all the different steps, how to talk with families, not just about money, but what what else do they need? Because, for, Pat, for some families, money is an issue. For some families, money is not even on, on their radar screen. The biggest want most families have is how to make medicine safer. How can we learn from this? How can our family get involved? How can we make sure the doctors never forget mom or dad or our our child or whoever it is? So, you know, I, I help them get them to the point where they can literally say, Pat, what do you need? How do we make this right by you? What, what, what are your needs going forward? And then have an adult and very intelligent discussion about it. I love that. I just wrote this down because uh, I obviously went through this whole ordeal with my mom. Nobody ever admitted. Nobody said sorry. Everybody danced around it. I knew the next day what happened because the doctor who didn't know me pulled me into a conference room and handed me some EKGs that clearly showed my mom was having a heart attack post-surgery that no one did anything about for nine hours. So now I had four months where I was watching this unfold, but nobody said they were sorry. Do I think that people wanted to? Absolutely. I knew that they wanted to say that. And so my only thought, you said it, People want to know, how can I make medicine safer? Well, if you're not going to talk to me about it and you're not going to ask me that question, well, then I guess I have to go after you, I guess, in a lawsuit to help make this come to light so it doesn't happen again. So I think your solution is so simple, yet pure genius. 
have a conversation with someone and say, how can we make this better? Because nobody walks into any kind of a hospital hoping that they're going to have a lawsuit at the back end. It's just not, on, like you say, it's not on their radar. Right, just like just like a doctor or a nurse shows up at work saying, I'm going to hurt someone today. Mm-hmm. I mean, those people are just not around. And to, to be fair, to be fair, especially in from, from my medical crowds, there are from occasion, time to time, patients and families who when something bad has happened, then they do, oh, my God, I'm going to you know sue your lights out. You're going to name the hospital after me, blah, 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 blah. Okay. There are some folks over in that camp, just like there are some doctors and nurses that are really bad that you wouldn't want taking care of your dog or cat, let alone your loved one. But the thing I found going through this work over now going on 15 years is that the vast majority of people that are in medicine every day, be they clinicians, be they patients, be the families, are good people who are there for the right reasons. Doctors and nurses want to want to cure and, and comfort. Families want to receive cure and comfort. Occasionally, it doesn't work out. So the question is, how do we keep these people working together and stay in a relationship and resolve their problems? They run away and hide. They don't talk. They don't communicate. Then what are you and me left to go fight over? Money. Because we're pissed off, we're angry, I'm going to go get every nickel we can. But if you have a conversation with me and act like an adult, we can figure it out, you know. And and sometimes it involves money, sometimes it doesn't. But what we found across the country is that when people have this conversation up front as opposed to going through three to five years of litigation, it's a lot cheaper. You're still fair to people, but it's a lot cheaper. Plus the big thing is you're learning from the mistakes quicker so it doesn't happen again. And you're getting what everybody they, they need emotionally, which is often left out of traditional litigation. And it's also offering the healthcare providers in the hospital to get something out of it emotionally, where they could actually be a human to say, I'm sorry. I can't imagine that anybody does not want to say, I'm sorry. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, there's so many cases I've heard across the country where docs weren't allowed to say sorry, yes. and, and it, it, it just haunts them. It just haunts them for their entire careers. And as I said, some of them, can go to a really dark place where they can quit or retire or even suicide. But conversely, I've heard of so many cases where docs have been allowed to do that, and they've been given the tools how to do it, shown how to do it, encouraged, helped. And they're like, wow, it's like lifting a piano off their mm-hmm. chest. It, it makes them a better healthcare professional because it, it's like, you know, they'll, they'll never forget that mistake, but they'll remember it in a good way where it makes them more vigilant, more focused, uh, and more attuned to the needs of patients and families. So there's so much benefit out of this. We just got to get people past the fear factor. We got to get people past the cultural norms that have made up medical malpractice for so long of run away and hide and then people sue and we go fight for three to five years. That's what we're trying to turn around. It's going to take time, but we'll get there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, money is at the forefront of everything. So we're incentivizing hospitals and physicians to uh, work on the patient experience, and we reward them for positive patient satisfaction survey scores and the HCAP score. So on that one side, we're using money. We're dangling money to say, hey, do the right thing, and if you do, here's money. But yet, how are we going to erase that from the other end, though, when there's harm that happens now? Okay, money is not a motivating factor. Yeah, you know, the government's pushing people to be nicer and, you know, have good customer service because we know that leads to safer medicine. Mm -hmm. When there's better communication, we like each other, we get better outcomes, guess what? That saves money, so we should reward you. Mm -hmm. On the back end with disclosure and apology, hey, you know, why should you adopt this? Well, you say you don't want to get sued and lose all your money. Well, here's a way to bring those numbers down. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You get to be ethical, too. You're not being some rascal going to the state house and taking people's rights away 
you're working with people's rights to give them ultimately what they need and what you need to. People can't argue with you about tort reform because you're taking it out of the equation. I am. Yeah, I really, it really needs to go away. Not that there, there, I'm sure there's some things about our court system that could be fixed, both on the plaintiff and the defense side. No problem with that. But as far as the heart of this issue, what doctors and nurses and families need, that really has no business there. It, it doesn't. It's it's a clunky solution, quote unquote, that does not really fit the needs of anybody. And and doctors and nurses uh, have expressed concern for decades, uh, fear of litigation. Well, they should be afraid of litigation. Nothing wrong with being afraid of litigation. I'd be afraid of being sued. Everybody should be afraid of being sued. It's not a fun process. So the doctors and nurses are telling us they're afraid of litigation, and they're so afraid it changes their practice behavior. They order too many tests. Uh, they withdraw from patients and families when something goes wrong. It, there's reams of data out there that support this. So I think going to them and saying, hey, guys, we got a different way to do this. Not only can you be ethical, not only can you be better at your job and safer, but we're going to reduce litigation. And some some patient advocates will say, oh, you're just trying to duck out of a lawsuit. And I'll say, sure, but I'm not trying to avoid responsibility. There's a difference. You don't have to get sued to be responsible. You can sit down and have a conversation with somebody. Again, get the conversation to the point where you can say, Pat, what do you need? What do you want? And then let you talk. At the end of the day, if we can't come to a meeting of the minds, you know, you still have your constitutional rights as an American citizen to go to court if you want. Just the same as the doctor can go to court if they want if you, Pat, think a $100,000 case is worth a million and we just can't come to a meeting of the minds. Well, that's where the hospitals are going to go to the court and argue the case on the damages. So, you know, for years I've always heard people say litigation should be the last resort, but we've never set a climate or we've never set it up where, especially in medical malpractice, where people have many different off-ramps that are ethical and moral to, to truly make litigation the last resort. It's always been pushed to the forefront. Well, they hurt you, you got to sue them. So I'm trying to turn that on its head. And um, again, we'll get there. Lots to talk about here. How are um, apology laws, how do those play into the work that you're doing? Does it help? Do they hinder? You know, apology laws to me have always been kind of... Um, a bit of a sideshow, not to sound too flippant. They make docs more aware of the topic, but at the end of the day, you really don't need an apology. You don't need an apology law to do this uh, this stuff because, as I often when I speak with defense counsel or, or insurance people, I'm like, at the end of the day, if you go through the whole process we talked about and the family still turns around and sues you, there was a legitimate claim, you sat down, you apologized, you offered money, you offered other forms of remediation, and they still want to go to court after all that. Well, you've built a great pile of evidence to show the judge and the jury that you're good people, that you're trying to do the right thing. Why wouldn't you want to put your doctor on the stand and have them explain how they apologize and try to work the problem out with the family? Because the jury is going to sit there and say, why am I here? And, you know, maybe this person truly is being unreasonable, the person being the patient or family. So we really don't need them. There are some what we call second generation apology laws. Massachusetts, Iowa, Oregon, and most recently Colorado mm -hmm. have put laws in place where they're actually encouraging the development of disclosure programs in hospitals where they're done in a formal way. And to get some different protections, including stuff not being admissible in court, the hospital has to, or nursing home has to meet certain criteria, including allowing the family to be represented by counsel during the process. So those can help. And we're, we're encouraging the development of those, but that's just getting started. So um, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. At the end of the day, I don't need it to do my job, mm -hmm. but we are encouraging legislators to look at the second generation stuff as a way to encourage the development of actual programs. 
Well, I guess like anything new, it's got to go through its uh, process to try to figure out what's right and what works. So maybe that's kind of heading in the right direction. I just know that the work that you do makes so much sense. It allows people Thank to you. be human. It really does. It allows people to behave as they innately want to behave and hopefully yep. can come up with some solutions that aren't so devastating for everybody all the way around. Sorry works. It sure does. So it's clear that honesty and heart are at the core of your work. What words would you share with hospitals and healthcare providers to help foster more heartfelt and honest communication? I think at the end of the day, they got to train their people. This is something that, unfortunately, most doctors and nurses, other folks in the organization, be they claims people, risk people, lawyers, it's the stuff they weren't taught in school, and and they weren't made aware enough in school. They got to invest in the training. And I always tell hospitals that whatever you whatever you spend time and money on training is going to be paid back many times over from all the benefits, from the safety, from the healing that's provided to not only families but staff and keeping your staff on board as opposed to quitting or retiring. And, yeah, the litigation reduction. I mean, they really need to invest the time and money. And you always get many excuses about, well, we're busy. We're, this is a new priority. That's a new priority. we got to do this, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, hey, you know, on any given day, any given afternoon, you might be getting a phone call saying, guess what, you're getting sued. So you got to put this top of the list because you know, every time that happens, there's so much bad that comes out of it. Not just the money, it, it's the it's the toll on the staff, the toll on the family, the toll that the, your your organizational reputation takes. I don't know how many times I've heard defense lawyers say, "Oh, we got a victory," and I'm like, "Great! How much did that cost? Mm-hmm. Oh, we we charge them a million bucks. Oh, wow. Okay. And how much did it cost them in the court of public opinion? They look at me like I'm talking goofy. I'm like. How much damage did you do to that hospital's organization in the public as you fought that case that in many ways was probably not defensible? And they, they just don't want to talk anymore after that. So I think it, it's got to be a top-of-the-mind priority for folks. they got to spend the time and money to get where they need to be. Wow. You're doing a good job, Doug. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So as we begin to wrap up, is there anything we missed that you wanted to highlight today? There's a lot of stuff on our website, sorryworks.net, Sorry works.net. We have our plan on there. You know, we've got a whole plan of stuff that we're doing this year, our 2020 plan where we, you know, talk about all the different research we're doing, different advocacy work, and we just continue to push the ball down the field with this topic. So I encourage people to come to our website. Uh, my cell phone number, I give it out everywhere, so I'll do it here too as well. 618-559-8168. Always love to talk to people. Uh, 618-559-8168. Come to the website, give us a shout. Uh, we're always here to help folks uh, work through these issues. Excellent. Doug Wachusek of Sorry Works. I love that. It's a perfect name. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate the opportunity, and thank you and your, your audience for listening, and uh, you keep up your good work as well, Pat. Thank you. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. Hi there, I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, the host of Mrs. Green's World, and I personally invite you to become a part of our movement. We show up every day to help create the change we wish to see because we care deeply about this great planet of ours. The guests I interview inspire ways of living that are healthy, sustainable, and socially just. 
we discuss real issues by leveraging experts and science to get trustworthy information. Please visit our website at mrsgreensworld.com to learn more and to become a part of our world. I recently narrated and produced an audiobook for author Joni Dark Shepherd. The book is titled Rio, A Love Story, How My Dog Saved My Life. Most of you know that I was a caretaker for my mom for nearly a decade and also have been rescued by 13 cats, so Joni's book resonated. Her boundless love and commitment to both her mother and sister as they battled cancer was raw, real, and revealing. As the darkness of these times descended upon her, she discovered and allowed the love of her dogs, especially Rio, to light up her life. Joni Dark Shepherd and the honest portrayal of her journey left me crying, smiling, and feeling happy. And isn't that what a good book is supposed to do? A compassionate and passionate read. Get yourself a copy today. Visit Amazon.com or the website joanandrio.com. I guarantee it, you'll love the book, Rio, A Love Story, How My Dog Saved My Life. Visit joanandrio.com. Well, that was a thought-provoking conversation today, don't you think? I know, I lived it. The hospital and all of the staff involved with my mom's missed heart attack for nine hours initially said nothing. Then, proceeded to deny and defend. And that only perpetuates practices and systems that cause otherwise preventable injuries. Plus, it's not nice. It's wrong. It's not the decent thing to do. <clears throat> All a patient or family member really wants is honesty. Showing a patient empathy and a sense of caring when things go wrong is a very powerful step. I mean, in what other scenario in life do people not apologize, especially when something so devastating has occurred? Validating the patient's injury or harm and remaining committed to their care and to them as people makes a significant difference. How could it not? But even when everyone concerned really feels that the apology was effective, the patient still has the reality of a usually bad outcome to live with, perhaps for the rest of their lives. And what about the medical costs, the rehab costs, perhaps changes in their ability to work, and quality of life costs that result from that bad outcome? So even when patients forgive, they still need money after a bad outcome to pay for things they never would have had to pay for had the outcome been a positive one. I mean, can I set fire to your car, say I'm sorry, and you'll be fine? What will you drive to work tomorrow? If you can't drive to work and get to work, how will you pay your bills? If you can't pay your bills, are you left to become homeless? The financial after-effects are seismic, and an apology will not cover those expenses. My mom's hospital bill was well over $2 million. Insurance did not cover everything, so we had lots of out-of-pocket expenses. Who should pay for that? A 78-year-old woman? 
her daughter? There's a lot of work yet to be done when it comes to medical errors and restitution, and I am not saying I have the answers, but at least conversations like we had today with Sorry Works begins to force everyone to take a look and attempt to come up with solutions that work for everyone involved. So with that, I am heading out to continue my work on my upcoming charity patient safety book, Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. Lots to do, but with guests like today, it's shaping up, it's shaping up to be 30 chapters chock full of patient safety perspectives. Hopefully late spring or early summer, it will be hot off the press, so I will keep you posted. Meantime, be sure to come back next week for more, but until then, visit the website speakupandstayalive.com. Head over to the shop page to get your copies of my books, Speak Up and Stay Alive, The Patient Advocate Hospital Survival Guide, my other book, Healthcare Acquired Infections, The Troublemakers and How to Avoid Them, and then check out the other goodies, and that's at speakupandstayalive.com. And my speaking schedule is filling up, so if your group, your club, business, church, or hospital needs a speaker, give me a call, 440-725-5462, 440-725-5462. My presentations are fun, fast-paced, and life-saving. No PowerPoints or sleepy, slow words. No reading. I'm good. Call me. 440-725-5462. Well, until next week, my friend, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week, free from the need for apologies. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice and patient safety. The information provided in today's broadcast is for informational purposes only and was not intended for use as diagnosis or treatment of a health problem and should not be considered as medical advice. If you've missed part of today's show or just want to share the information with friends, you can listen to all of Pat's previous shows at speakupandstayalive.com. Want even more information? Purchase a copy of Pat's book at speakupandstayalive.com. Once again, it's speakupandstayalive.com. Or you can call Pat at 440-725-5462. Until next week, remember, it's okay to ask others to wash their hands. You have to speak up and stay alive.